of, and I'm so appreciative of Christine Dwight Whitney for coming today and and yeah, he, they have my they have my heart, and I'm appreciative of what they're doing, and and grateful for their ministry here um, at this church, St. Andrews. We miss uh, Juliana, and we uh, pray and welcome when she gets back as well. How's everybody doing? Can't lean on that. <laughs> Do you have good groups? Did you have an encounter with the one who longs? to meet you at the well this morning because you've begun this beautiful journey this semester. Some of you haven't been with us for every class. Draw Near to God Ministries has been in existence for 17 years and, and this is actually the first time that I'm using a study that I didn't write myself and it's been very refreshing for me personally and um, exciting to, to use Max Licato's study. Before I begin, I just want to remind you all that there are two books that I want to recommend out on the table. One is written by Terry Reed, and it's The Lord's Prayer. Um, she's actually on the board of Drawing Near to God Ministry, and I wrote the forward for her for this. It's a wonderful tool for the Lord's Prayer. And the other is Tell Your Heart to Beat Again that I wrote, and we're in the middle of our book launch, and so I commend them to you why because I have a real heart for books. When I accepted Christ, I had this voracious appetite, and I would read the word, but I couldn't get what I really wanted to get out of it. I really don't think that I was fully surrendered, but I gave my life to Christ. But in that moment, my mother-in-law had given me some books to read, and I remember reading them, and books became very important to me at that critical mass time when I wasn't able to completely absorb the Word. The Lord used the books to get me, segue me into Scripture to begin to open up my heart to understand it. And so that's why I love to write books um, um, about Christ and what he's done and encounters with him. This particular one is about the comparison between the physical heart, having um, my dad's a cardiologist who taught my husband who's a cardiologist, my brother-in-law's a cardiologist, and if you get what I mean, I know a little tiny, tiny bit about physical hearts, and I compare them to the spiritual hearts and the church today in the state that we're in. I want to begin in prayer. Father, you are good. And you give good gifts to your children. And Lord, as we come today, I pray that we would indeed have a divine encounter with you. That, Lord, you would open up our spiritual eyes and ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. That I would decrease and you would increase. Just as John the Baptist said when he heralded in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You see, as I begin to think about John writing these words... I imagine that it went something like this, and of course, this is just my imagination. He's an older man, and he's thinking to himself, I saw a lot of divine encounters over the years. I touched Jesus. I saw Jesus. I was with Jesus, and these young whippersnappers have not been with him like I have. They don't know him. They don't understand him. They don't even realize that he is indeed the Messiah. I'm going to write down these encounters. He wanted to give us the deeper spiritual meaning that Jesus was indeed from the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word who was God was Jesus, the living water that we see today. 
And from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God, we see John writing in the beginning God, and it was Jesus who was with God, the three in one, in the time of creation. As we begin to move and understand, John wanted us to understand that he was writing from a vantage point of looking at Scripture with hindsight better than foresight. He, had, he knew the Old Testament. He knew that the one who had been foretold, the one who is Yeshua Messiah, was the one he spent those years with, three short years, where he touched him, he spoke to him, and he was one of the three disciples who were closest to him. From that vantage point, let's see what he had to say. But before I begin, I want to just sort of set the stage for you. Because, you see, today is a day that I pray that you will encounter God. And I pray that it won't just be today, but that you will have a new understanding of how we encounter him in the smallest details of our lives. We encounter him in whatever we might be up to and whatever we are doing. The key is our spiritual eyes have to be opened. Because we are flesh and blood, it's very difficult for us to get out of our human reasoning and our logic. Although I've said time and time again, my family has a great value for, for not only reasoning, but for using your mind. But we have to understand that we are also spiritual beings. And so that the Lord takes our mind and uses it uh, for his glory. So as we look at this, I want us to, to consider divine encounters with God today. And so the first thing that happens is we have the divine initiative of God. Some of you may have accepted Christ as a child. Some of you aren't there yet, and we, we value that. We want to pray with you and, and help you get on there and help you journey there. We, um, we understand that some of you have been walking with Jesus for years and years, and yet you're in a blank phase. You're in that dark night of the soul phase that we go through. You're in different seasons and different walks all across here and all across the nation watching. But there is a divine initiative that is always at work on the face of the earth. And as we, um, our spiritual eyes are open, and we'll talk about Nicodemus for a minute, as our spiritual eyes are open when we accept Christ, we begin to see and hear new sounds. We hear sounds and things we never heard before. We see things through spiritual eyes that we never saw before. And we begin to see these encounters that we thought were coincidence Maybe, just maybe, they're God incidents. And so we look at the world differently through the divine initiative, Jesus reaching down and pulling us up. And he often uses hard situations to do that. He certainly has in, in many of your lives and mine. He takes the initiative and draws us in with cords of love. And as we begin to get closer to him and abide in him, we begin to have encounters with him that we begin to wonder, is this you or not? And through those encounters, now here we come with my favorite word this semester, is this process of transformation begins. Now we understand from Colossians 1.13, the word of God says, for he, God, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so we understand that that's the first step. So if he has rescued us when we say yes to Jesus, that's just the beginning of a transformation, a beginning of a process in which he begins to draw us near, to transform us, to change us, to shift us. And John understood that. 
because he was transformed from the kingdom of darkness into light. He pens these words, and he said, you would not believe all the divine encounters I saw. Did you see him heal the guy at Bethsaida at the pool? Did you see him touch the guy's eyes? Did you see him talk to the woman at the well? Unheard of, unthinkable. Did you see what he did in the temple? Did you hear the story with Nicodemus, the Pharisee? John penned these words from a place of having been there. And what happened to him is his eyes, spiritually speaking, were opened. And what happens to us as we accept Christ, we begin to hear new sounds, see new things, things that we thought before were just coincidence, and we go, oh, maybe God was intervening in my life. So that's what we do. Now, I'm just going to give you an example before I dive right into the, to the teaching for today. Yesterday, we have uh, people pray who pray for this ministry, and we were praying. And it was very interesting we all had the same encounter. None of us knew it until we got together. And I was sitting with a woman, and the two of us were together, and we heard, woo, woo, woo. And I had never heard that sound before. Oh, maybe I had heard it, but hadn't identified it. And I looked at her, and I said, what's that sound in my backyard? And she said, oh, that's a dove. She said, it's so funny. Every time I need affirmation from God, doves show up. And I'm thinking, all right. And so, woo, woo, woo's going on. She said, they're in your front yard, your side yard. And I was so excited. Well, then in comes two of the uh, people coming to pray. And they shared with me later when we came in, we said, we are two doves coming in to pray. Is this a coincidence or is this God? That rests, the, you know, it rests in your arms to think about. And then while we're praying, one of the women that was praying told us afterwards, none of us had spoken about any of this. And she says... You're not going to believe this. While I was praying, I saw a dove. And I'm thinking, there is something going on here. The question is, was that a divine encounter from God? The question is, do you think that maybe God intervenes in the natural world? Well, folks, Jesus did. He went to the vineyard and he said, look at the vines. He, yo, he was so natural. We don't have to be so spiritual. We're no earthly good. We need to just look at our families. Look at the beautiful lives he's given us. Look at the struggles. And I'm telling you what, I know your struggles. I have my struggles. God is always in the middle of these things. And we have a divine encounter with him if our eyes are open. So John wrote about all these encounters, that process of transformation now, last week, we passed through Cana, and we witnessed a miracle, the miracle of the transforming the water into wine. And God, God's disciples, the disciples of Christ, they saw his glory, the text says, and his disciples believed. That was an encounter. When Jesus turned the water into wine, it began that process of the kingdom of light came because he said when he came on earth, his first words in ministry were what? Now, you all know them. The kingdom of God is near. It's me. And the kingdom of God will be within you, we read in Luke, as believers. And when that kingdom comes in, it can get messy in your lives. The Holy Spirit can do his work. But light overwhelms darkness. And the things, I was just listening to one of our sisters in the hallway saying, oh, man, you know, I came to the face-to-face to the, the -to -face event on Saturday, and I was, God, I, I just I had problems in my marriage, and it was just amazing what God did. Y'all, prayer was just simply offered. These are natural things in Christ's kingdom. 
but we make them out to be all these weird, strange things. John writes this in a naturally supernatural way. Would you believe that these things happened and that they're still happening today? So let's just take a look at some of these transforming things that happened. Let's take a look at it through the lenses of the stories that we, have for, we were not able to see in the study guide. I promised I'd fill in the gaps, and I'm going to do that now. And Nicodemus, actually, let's look at John chapter 1, John the Baptist. We see John the Baptist who's coming along. Now, here is his divine encounter. I'm trying to frame this teaching, which really is about the woman at the well. Another title could be divine encounters with God. And so I want to bookend the teaching with the divine encounters that we see before we get to the woman at the well so that we can see that John is consistently telling us stories about encounters with God that led to subsequently transformation in that person. We already saw at the wedding, the disciples were blown away when this uh, miracle happened and they believed in Christ. And so we begin to see this, that John the Baptist is heralding. Well, here's what happens in, in uh, verse 29 of chapter 1 of John. The next day he saw Jesus, he meaning John the Baptist, and said, Behold the Lamb of God. You all, where did that come from? It came from the Old Testament, the sacrificial system. That was just a forwarding, a foreshadowing of Jesus to come. If you read the Old Testament through the lenses of the Spirit of God, suddenly you'll see my word. Jesus was all over the Old Testament. And we begin to see in here that we have this conversation that the next day John the Baptist sees the Lamb of God. How in the world did he know it was Jesus? He was baptizing people. He was called by God because in this text it said, God spoke to me. I, John the Baptist, had an encounter with God where he spoke to me and he said, listen up, buddy, when you see, now I don't know he talked that way, but when you see a dove rest on this man, this is the long-awaited Messiah. So John the Baptist in this chapter 1 begins to unpack this. He said, indeed, I bear witness to this. I did see the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. This was a divine encounter. And so right in the beginning, John begins to say, not only in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word and His kingdom brought divine encounters and therefore divine transformation. And so we see John the Baptist right out, and then we see in chapter 2, we see this, um, this amazing uh, cleansing of the temple. Take a look with me at verse 12, 13. In chapter 2, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out and he poured out the coins on the money table. He was ticked off. He says these words, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a den of thieves or a house of trade. In that moment, we see a divine encounter. Jesus came, and I guarantee you those people were shivering in their boots. I guarantee you that they were really afraid, and they begin to try to figure out who is this man? Is he a prophet? Is he a son of God? Or is he just a madman? C.S. Lewis says he had to figure it out. You have to make, decide for yourself. Is he a madman, or is he, was he, is he really the son of God? 
you must decide. So we see this transformation of the Kunzel. Let me just give you a little background. Again, this isn't in our Max Lucadu study. It is not in our text for today, but I'm determined we're going to go through the book of John and reach all the parts because it's magnificent. We see Jesus come into the temple. Let's just do a little background here. Every adult male Jew within 15 miles of Jerusalem had to attend this Passover celebration and had to pay a temple tax. The tax had to be paid in Galilean currency, so they needed to make these money exchanges. The amazing thing is they had to pay a temple tax of a half of a shekel, which was two days' wages. It was a very big deal. By this time, however, the Jews had scattered, but they never forgot their cherished faith. And they dreamed about attending a Passover at least once in their lifetime. The animals were sold for sacrifice, so money had to be changed for the sacrificial animals. And again, all pointing to Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, and the Passover. Amazing. Let's take a look at, um, no, let me give you, let me back up a minute. So we see the transformation of the people there who see Jesus who's running through and he's cleansing the, table, the, the temple and he says to us today, if you know all of your scriptures, that Jesus has, in the word of God, teaches us, he said to the Pharisees, they said, who in the world are you? What are you talking about? This is blasphemy. Do you think he's, God, what is this talk that you're talking about? Destroy this temple and we'll rebuild it. Are you going to destroy the temple of God? And Jesus says, you don't even understand. You are blind. Listen, we are all blind until the spirit comes to live within us. I was blind. I ran into doors until the Holy Spirit got a, talk, got a hold of me. And so we see that we have this situation where Jesus tells the Jewish people, he says, I am he. You destroy this temple, meaning himself, and I will raise it up again. And they're going, what? You're going to destroy the temple? Here's the thing, a divine encounter. People who heard that were transformed. And then we see Paul says, you, today, when you accept Christ, are the temple. You are that temple. Y'all, isn't the script, aren't the scriptures rich? Don't you just want to dig into the Old Testament and see how so many things were point to the Messiah? And so we see this, but your eyes are blinded until they're opened, right? You're transformed from the kingdom of darkness into light, and we see these animals that are sold and then a divine encounter. And then we look at Nicodemus. Look with me at this last story before we get into the woman at the well. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, chapter 3. He has a divine encounter with Yeshua. He was curious. I suspect he was very smart. He was a member of a very prestigious group, the Pharisees. He comes, however, at night. Why? Because he's afraid. He's a Jew. How is he going to do this? What is he going to say? What are his people going to say? He comes under the cover of dark and he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. He took step one. He acknowledged that he was a rabbi and a teacher. He says, you do things. No one could do these signs and wonders unless God's with him. But he doesn't understand that he truly is the son of God. He has a divine encounter. And I want to explain something to you. If you remember only one thing, about this transformative process, the process of transformation. Jesus is in the business of moving the needle just a little bit at a time. 
the needle moves and it moves. And you have another divine encounter and you go, oh, maybe that dove was God. Five doves, five people praying and we all had a, a, a dove. Could that be coincidence? The needle moves. The needle of faith moves. It's a journey. It's a process. And so we see in every single one of these stories, John saying, do you not see that when we encountered God in every one of these stories, do you not see that the people were transformed? We need folks to open up our eyes and see him and think that we, he is everywhere and know that he is and say, God, here I am. I do that every day. Do your thing. Here I am, the one that you love. Show me where you're at work today in my marriage in my home. Show me, God. I promise you that he will show you divine encounters. So there's Nicodemus. And Jesus says, oh, Nicodemus, truly I say to you, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And he goes into this long thing, and I'm not, please go back and read through John. Make sure that by the time we end this course, you will have read through the whole book of John. But in this discourse, Nicodemus is scratching his head going, I mean, he's smart, y'all, and you can't check your mind out at the door. And I'm sure he's pacing and he's going, tells me I have to be born again. Oh, my goodness, do I have to get back in the womb and be born again? That was kind of messy. I don't think I want to go there. And he goes through this whole diatribe about the thing, and Jesus is lovingly kind and generous with his words and powerful. He doesn't say, Nicodemus, I'm just going to yank a chain in you. You need to be transformed right now. He met him where he was. Let's take a look at the first slide. Each encounter with Jesus stirred up a war between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Each encounter made some people mad and angry. He was upsetting the apple cart. He was ushering in a new kingdom. The Jews and their system were being um, disrupted. The power, the prestige were being broken down. He said he was the son of God. It was blasphemy. There was the people over here, good people, that were really angry. And they were his people. Let that soak in for a minute. Do you have people in your home who are angry with you because you've taken a stand for Christ? Do you have people in your home that think you're a religious fanatic or think you're crazy? Well, I guess you do, because if I do, then you do, right? Do you have people that don't understand this walk with Christ? Jesus meets them where they are, powerfully, gently, with truth. He doesn't yank a chain in them and say, get a life. I'm the Messiah for crying out loud. Get the, you know, come on over here. He just met him and he spoke truth. What a beautiful name he is. We see the Pharisees and the elite religious people of the day fought back. They fear loss of power and authority. Each encounter with light with Jesus overwhelmed the darkness. That's the good news. Every time we have, you have an encounter with Christ, the darkness is always overwhelmed by the light. The needle moves a little bit further. Each encounter moves the needle of the transformation in their lives. Make no mistake, the enemy does not want you to encounter Christ and be transformed because if you do, your families, your workplace, your relationships will be transformed, filled with light, and the enemy will have to flee. Jesus confronted the enemy for us in this scripture. He defied him, he stood against him, and he said, get behind me, I'm about my father's business. You are not going to rattle my chain. You can take that slide down. Daily encounters with God move the needle towards transformation. You know, 
one of my biggest desires, one of my biggest loves of my life is my husband. He's been a good man to me, and he has put up with a wild, untamed horse. And I know it, and he is gentle, and he is kind, and he's good to me. And my desire has always been to give back to him, to have a transforming marriage, to do those things. But in my wild Greek self, <laughs> sometimes he's like, whoa, I'm just too much for him. You're laughing because you know that. So I've been spending a lot of time asking God to transform my marriage, make it deeper, make it better. All of us should be praying that whether you're married or not married, you should be praying for transformation in your lives. And so I had my first test, and he called me. Oh, I've got to go see patients, and I've got to see him right now, and I've got to see him in 15 minutes, and I don't have my iPad, and I have my notes in there. And I, where are you? Well, of course, I was at home, and the office is all the way across town. And I had spent time with the Lord. And I was totally like transformed and filled with the Spirit. And I was feeling really good. And I said, of course I will, in my holiest voice. And I got in my car with my halo on my head. And I put the medal to the pedal. And I soared like an eagle. And I gave him one. And I gave it to his secretary and said, give this to him with great love. <laughs> I felt so good. Two days later. And actually, as I'm driving home, I felt like I heard the Lord say, you passed the test. And I went, oh, that was a test? You know, okay, all right, good. And I moved on two days later. Now, this is a man that forgets nothing. He's brilliant, he's sharp, nothing. So now I knew it was a setup. I, well, I didn't know it at the time. I get the phone call. Oh, my gosh, Joanne. Uh, this time he's left his iPad. I can't, I can't, I got to have my iPad. I'm in this meeting. I have to conduct the meeting. I have to have my notes. And I... I had not had the transforming holy moment with God. I said, well, where are you, buddy? He said, I'm getting ready to give the talk. I said, well, get in your car and drive over here, because I'm getting ready to give a talk, too. Silence. And I went, and I gave him the iPad with the worst attitude. And the Lord said to me, you didn't pass that test. Y'all, transformation takes place only when we work with God. It just doesn't come out of the sky and you have a divine encounter and then suddenly you are just the coolest, wonderful, sweetest, halo-walking person. It doesn't happen like that. How it happens is you work with him. You co-labor. That's scripture. And you say, God, I yield. I surrender. Because you have to work with him because that old flesh is not pretty. And we all have our stuff. Has God given you an opportunity that you've missed today? Tomorrow he will. We have to stay fixed to the vine and pour, let him pour into us as El Shaddai, our nourisher, so that the needle of transformation can move. Let's take a look at the next slide. We are finally getting into our text for today. And I have five minutes. <laughs> so I'm in my kitchen just don't look at that for a minute so you can hear this. I'm in my kitchen and I've got little steps that go down to my kitchen and I'm sitting on the kitchen stairs and my husband comes home and I'm sitting in the dark. And I'm sitting there and he walks and he said, why are you sitting on the kitchen stairs in the dark? And I said, because I'm thinking about crying. And he said, should I leave? <laughs> I said, well, no, you can stay. I can cry with you here. 
And he said, well, can I do anything? I said, no, I, I'm, I'm on my pity pot, and I, I need to cry. And he goes, well, what's wrong? And I said, there's just too many balls in the air in my life right now, and I'm, I need this moment. And then I said, but I need you in the moment with me. I'm the woman at the well, and I need you to be Jesus. And he goes, <laughs> I need you to help me get through this. And he was. He was Jesus with skin on. But the point is, divine encounters are every day. Look for them. Seek them. He helped me work through it. Did I see Jesus standing there? Not literally, but Jesus, the hands and feet, were my husband that day. Maybe you're sitting at the well. Maybe you are the hands and feet of Jesus meeting the person at the well. We see here, oh, thank you. We can put it back up. We see here Jesus spoke of living water, John chapter 4. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So this was a well-known place. Jacob's well was there. Again, we see the Old Testament coming and rushing into the world of the kingdom of God through Christ. A woman from Samaria came to draw the water, and Jesus said, give me a drink. His disciples had gone. Do you think that was a setup by God? I do. I think she would have been embarrassed had all those disciples, all those men been there when she's not. You don't speak to a woman in those days. I think it was a setup by God. His Abba said, we're going to have a divine encounter. The scripture says he needed to go to Samaria because his daddy gave him his instructions, God the Father. So he goes there, and isn't it like God to set it up to be not only compassionate, but to cover her shame in a way that he powerfully spoke into her life. And he didn't have others see the encounter because she might have been embarrassed. Isn't it like the Lord to do that in our lives where he gently leaves us beside the still water and restores our soul? He doesn't shame us into it. I get crazy when I hear people bring out their club. In the name of God, you will know Christ. Whap, whap, whap. Or, you did that? I mean, I've been in prayer things where you did that, and the poor person has just shared their lives. We do not do that in here, by the way. You women are wonderful about praying and being in the hands and feet of Christ. And we see the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and what it is, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the water. And you can take that down because the living water came. You see, Jesus had to go there because there was one woman waiting for him. Do you recognize those divine encounters? Do you recognize, and in this it talks about being at the fork of the road. He had a fork in the road and his daddy said, take this road and go meet this woman. She's lonely, she's rejected, she's in sin, and we're going to fill her with living water. And she drops her jug, she drops her burdens, she drops everything and runs in and says, can it be that he's the Messiah? Others meet him and believe in him. You see, Jesus comes at the forks in our lives, in the times when we're really tired, in the times when we're rejected, in the times when we've lost a loved one, in the times where we're hurt and we're broken. He does his best work right beside the well. I'm going to end with this last slide, if you will. Jesus seemed to go out of his way to challenge traditional animosities. He came and ushered a kingdom 
Kingdom unified with Christ as king, centered around a loving God with all of our being and bringing our loving our neighbors as ourselves. A radically different community and culture, one in which he still has today in his kingdom, radically different. Jesus broke into the world seeking the lost and the broken, and that's why this week we find him at the well in a town that hated Jews with a woman living in sin in a place filled with Pharisees. Life application, you can take that down. You see, sometimes we're looking for God in those holier-than-thou moments. When we have our halos on and we just kind of put them on securely and we're just doing good, and yet Jesus takes us to the bottom of ourselves in order to draw from his living well, pour over us, and show us his need, our need for him. He is a savior that seeks out the lonely and the brokenhearted. As we come to worship this morning, I want you to think about that needle of transformation. I want you to think about the divine encounters this week that you will have when you leave this place. I want you to think about Jesus, who is meeting you at the well, are you Jesus for someone this week, or are you the woman at the well? Are you Nicodemus, who didn't quite know how to handle Jesus, but if you fast forward, he took up for Jesus when he spoke to the Pharisees later on? Are you the people watching the temple being cleansed and thinking, who is this madman? I don't know where you are today, but I know for sure that the word of God is powerful and that, that that needle has been moved. As they begin to play a response song, if the prayer teams will come up. And those of you who want prayer in your seats, we will come and pray with you in your seats. But I would love for you to come up to the rail that we might pray with you there as well. You are dismissed at 1130, so please leave quietly. And those who aren't staying for prayer, we appreciate your leaving um, quietly and going out in the foyer. In Jesus' name, thank you.
There's hope for the hopeless and all those who stray. Come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can cure. So Come as you are. 